You know, I like to say jokingly, there's, you know, three kinds of people. There's the people that uh, make things happen. There's the people who watch things happen. And then there's the people who wonder what happened. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Really Happened. Today I'm hosting Marco Centarelli. Um, Marco is an investor, author, and the founder of Norada Real Estate Investments, a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow investment property. Since 2004, he helped thousands of real estate investors uh, create wealth and passive income through real estate. He's also the host of the top-rated passive real estate investing podcast. Hey, I'm so happy to have you on the show, Marco. How are you? I'm doing great, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I think you have a very interesting story to share with us, and I would love to kind of dive into the story. Um, if you can share with us, you know, how I think your story of how you started in real estate is very unique. I know a lot of people have, you know, different stories of how they found themselves in real estate, um, and I think yours is, is kind of unique. So I would love if you could share it with us. Sure. So um, I don't really want to go as far back as, you know, my 18th birthday, but really the truth is, is that's when I started investing in real estate. I think I knew at a relatively young age, 16, 17, that wealth was created and held in real estate. And I mean, if you're aware, you can just look around and you can see it. We have real estate everywhere and people who actually have any form of wealth often stored in real estate or have created it in real estate. So knowing that at a young age, I decided this is what I need to do. But I couldn't qualify for financing until I was of legal age. And at the time, that was 18. So I uh, purchased my first townhome and I fixed it up. Of course, I got financing on it. Um, After I fixed it up, I threw a sign out on the lawn. There was no internet back there. You Back then, you couldn't advertise other than in the newspaper and a sign on the lawn. So sign on the lawn, took some applications. I'm not sure what questions I asked, but essentially, I leased it, managed it, held it for a number of years. And here's lesson number one. This is the mistake I made early on without knowing I made a mistake because we get so attracted to the equity growth that happens in a property over time. And you think, oh, well, that's great. I made a huge profit. Let me take that and see what I could do with it. And often that means, you know, a nice, a nicer car or a vacation or a combination mm. of consumer related things, you know, what you might call doodads. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that was the mistake I made after holding it for a number of years and having a great capital gain on it. Instead of leveraging that equity and buying more property, um, I took it and, and I did some silly things with it. But I did go back into real estate and reinvest. But that was my first lesson, not knowing it was a lesson back then, knowing that today is that you don't sell property. Yes, you can exchange it tax-free and build up your portfolio, but just don't sell it for the sake of taking that capital gain and going off and traveling the world. 
So then, you know, I fast forward to 2002, 2003, I, I had been involved in many businesses along the way, some successes, some failures. But uh, in 2000 and 2000, yeah, around 2000, I got involved in a dot com business. And that was going well for a while. I raised $9.5 million of venture capital funding. We had 110, wow. 105, 110 employees. Um, you know, we were on our way to an IPO. And, you know, that was at the time everybody's dream, right? You know, you have all these millions of dollars that you see in front of you. Uh, unfortunately, the NASDAQ crashed. <laughs> <laughs> so all the venture capital funding dried up. And there we were with, you know, 100 plus employees. And we had to start laying them off, you know, in, in chunks. And so I was the third last to leave the company because I was the third partner. At the time, I was fortunate enough to be in a position where we had enough income coming in, uh, you know, some passive income that I could take two years off. And I didn't plan to take two years off. I dabbled with some things. But, um, but it was an opportunity to kind of sit back and reflect. And what I've always loved was real estate. Then an interesting thing happened. In the middle of 2003, some, somewhere in kind of midsummer, I received an email out of the blue. I'm not even sure how I got on this email list, but I received an email from uh, a, rel a relatively famous author, well-published author. His name is Robert G. Allen. Uh, he's probably published and co-published about 20 books. You could look him up on Amazon. Uh, he um, was partners with uh, Mark Victor Hansen, the guy who did Chicken Soup for the Soul series. So they did some books together as well as like the One Minute Millionaire and whatnot. But he's been known as one of the grandfathers of nothing down real estate, like low down, no down real estate. Mm -hmm. And it has worked well, you know, over the decades, but it's becoming harder and harder to do. But I got this email from his company at the time was called EMI, the Enlightened Millionaire Institute. They rebranded it to the Enlightened Wealth Institute after that. But I get this email and say, hey, free three-day uh, real estate boot camp, you know, coming up in, I think it was September in Orange, California. Great. I have time on my hands. Let's go. <laughs> so I sign up for this thing. Of course, it's free. And um, so I go there and uh, it was an amazing event. The speaker had you, figuratively speaking, riveted to your seat. The content was so thick and valuable and it was fast flowing that you really didn't want to get out of your seat if you had to go to the bathroom. You stayed until the break because it was that good. So, and I don't remember if it was the end of the first day or the second day, but they were offering this boot camp. And guess what? It started at $15,000 and it went up to $35,000. Wow. So, of course, if it's a free event, they're going to be selling mm -hmm. something at the back of the room. That's just how it works. Of course. Uh, so, I had time on my hands. <laughs> so, I whipped out my credit card. And like everyone else, you know, everybody's walking or running to the back of the room. And uh, I, I'm sure they've made millions of dollars that weekend in just, you know, these uh, these boot camps. But it was it was an opportunity. The reason is, is because it wasn't so much the education. I knew a lot of what they were already teaching and talking about, whether it would be investing, rehabbing, flipping, apartments, syndications, asset protection, financing. What... 50% of the value that came out of that was the people I met. Just networking with other like-minded individuals and other real estate investors, that's powerful. And so two things happened from that. Number one, I started investing in early 2004 and hard in, not, in about a nine-month period. I always say with you know within that first year, but it was actually within a nine-month period. I had purchased 84 units, 84 doors. So this was a combination of single families, duplexes, uh, fourplexes and a couple of small apartments. So how how did it start? You're saying that you basically you got this email, you attended, you said, "Hey, 
why not? I have time on, on my hands and you have some, you know, disposable income. You went to that event. Did they teach you how to do it? Were they focused on, on the, some, you know, one type of real estate investment or another? Or how did, how did it happen from that point where you're in the, running to the back of the room with everyone else, to, you know, with your credit card in your hand? What happened between that moment and, you know, and the moment where you actually look at your portfolio and you say to, to yourself, oh, wait, I, you know, I have 84 doors. What happened there? Everybody was hearing the same information. We were learning the same thing. But here's the differentiating factor. A lot of people spend time educating themselves. Mm-hmm. They listen to your podcast. They read books. They may listen to my podcast. They, you know, go to meetups and do, network with other people. And they get to the point where they have enough information. They, they've gathered enough knowledge to, to, to take it to the next step. But here's the differentiating factor. I took action. I decided I was going to execute my plan. Even if I had a half-baked plan, it was good enough. I just knew I had to invest. Now, it was half-baked because I didn't make mistakes. <laughs> I, I, I lost money. I made money and I lost money. Um, but I, you know what? I got kicked, knocked down. But I got back up and I brushed myself off and I just kept pushing through because I just had a very, I was passionate about what I was doing. I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do and, and I just made it happen. And, and really, if you look at the people that are successful, the one thing they have in common is they've all taken action. They've all executed on a plan, no matter how good or bad the plan was. They've, they've just moved the needle. So... You know, I like to say, jokingly, there's, you know, three kinds of people. There's the people that uh, make things happen. There's the people who watch things happen. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people who wonder what happened. So, <laughs> so you don't want to be the third kind? <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. So, you know, uh, I, I, I used to call it MCH, make crap happen. So just be an MCH. So that, that really was a big differentiator. I just, you know... Uh, credit was available and credit wasn't that hard to, to, to acquire. Um, we jokingly in the industry said, and I think you know this, um, you know, if you could fog a mirror, you could qualify for financing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What they called ninja loans, no income, no asset, no job. <laughs> so, uh, so financing wasn't an excuse for anybody unless, I mean, you had absolutely poor, poor credit and you had bank, a bankruptcy on your hands, you could get mm-hmm. financing. Interesting. So, yeah. So, th- so that was a big thing that happened from, you know, going to these boot camps and meeting a lot of people because people were coming up to me saying, hey, I see you're buying a lot of property. How are you doing it? Can you help me? Can you coach me? I need a mentor. Mm-hmm. Can you help find me a deal. Well, I didn't have time to be anybody's coach or mentor. I was happy to answer questions. I still do that today. I've been doing that for 15 years now with, you know, through our business, through our podcast, through everything we do. Uh, but what I was willing to do, and this was the genesis of our business um, today, nor, which is Norada Real Estate Investments, and that is people were saying, well, hey, if you can't you know, coach me, can you find me a deal? Just help me find a deal and I'll pay you or you know, we'll partner. Well, I was seeing some good deal flow. And so I was picking properties up and, um, and essentially at the t- it started off by selling it to them, you know, like an assignment where you get you know, an assignment fee. You, you kind of assign the contract. That's kind of how it started. But I quickly flipped that on its head and turned it around to be more like a brokerage model where we were essentially a broker of that investment property. And they were purchasing it through us from a seller where we had the properties under contract. And so um, 
very much like a brokerage, and we are a brokerage as of today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a broker, and we run the business like a brokerage, but with a lot of value add. And so that was the uh, that was the birth of of the business. When you're looking at the time frame of how things happen, you're starting to buy more and more properties, and then at some point, you you basically found yourself brokering uh, deals to to people. Do you still do that today? Yeah, well, that's exactly what the business is about. It's mm-hmm. not it's not just uh, brokering deals, but we are we are actually we have inventory of turnkey rental properties in 21 markets throughout the United States. Obviously, they're wow. handpicked markets because they need to make sense, and mm-hmm. we can get into that if you want. Um, but yes, 21 markets. We have turnkey, re- you know, cash flow from day one, rental properties ready to go. So. That is our business model, but we layer that with tons of, of free counseling and education, transaction coordination, property management, inspectors, lenders, like everything you possibly need is all under one roof. And that was what our, that's what our business is, is. We call it turnkey real estate investing. It's really a complete solution. So we've done like 70 to 80% of the work for the investor. That's why they come to us today because they're busy. You know, they they may be professionals, maybe they're not professionals, but they they have this uh, like uh, investable income that they need help investing properly. And rather than do all the homework and go through the learning curve and assemble the teams, find the teams or the boots on the ground that you mm-hmm. need to make it happen, um, we've done all that for you. So really, an investor comes to us and they're saying, "Look, I've I don't have the time, but I have the investment capital. I need help. Help me choose the market. Help me choose the properties." And then all the rest of the pieces that they need are in place there. So we take them methodically through a two-page checklist that they could literally check it off as they go. And by the time they get to the last checkbox on that checklist, they've closed escrow and they've got another property in their portfolio that's generating cash flow the next month. So it's basically a one-stop shop for an investor that wants to be, uh, the way I see it, at least it's some somewhere in between passive pure passive investor and semi-passive investor, right? Because if you're, you know, truly passive, then there's a syndicator running the show. Um, And if you're an active investor, then you're doing everything. You're looking at the market, you're, you know, you're sourcing the deals, you're finding, you're finding them, you're hiring uh, all the people. So basically people, people that work with you can actually keep the investment as passive as possible, even though, they're, they can be the only investor in the deal. Yeah, you, you, you describe that very well. And I'll just clarify a little more. Uh, so someone who is investing in single family homes, duplexes, fourplexes that we offer, mm-hmm. they are about as passive as they can get. Now, that doesn't mean disengaged. You're always engaged with your investments. You have to think of yourself as the CEO of your real estate investment company, and your property managers are the frontline management team that you oversee. Um, and then, of course, you've got various other entities like your, your a CPA and your attorney, but they are, they're on the side until you need them. So investing in these turnkey rentals is about the most passive way to go. What's a little more passive than that is investing in a syndication, something like what you would put together. That is really one step removed because you've kind of eliminated the the, the the part that you're overseeing your management team because that's your job um, you know you do syndications we do the occasional syndication uh, we're probably going to do more next year but it's really not our model but we're finding inventory getting tighter and tighter and so we're having to kind of move into that direction where we're doing syndications but 
syndication is more passive. So what you're doing is offering a more passive solution. The only thing that's more passive than that, which I don't particularly like and nor would I recommend, and that is investing in a REIT, which is the mm-hmm. best, it's essentially investing in Wall Street because it's a public traded company. It's a, it's a real estate investment trust. And that's the same as purchasing stock. You know, you're, you're buying paper exactly. assets. So you're mm-hmm. not truly, I mean, you, you have equity, you have an equity stake, but you're, you're one step removed. So you're better off, in my opinion, investing in a syndication. But if you want to actually own the real estate, of course, you own it in entities, then build your own portfolio. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there's also, um, when you're a little bit more involved, you're passive, but a little bit more involved. So you understand the market a little bit more. You understand the property a little bit more because you go through um, the offering memorandum, you go through the terms and you understand there's a lot of power to it than to just to be completely um, passive and not really, you know, put 100% trust in, in a company or in a person and not do any due diligence and just, and, and just say, hey, I like this read, I'm going to invest with them. Just like, you know, investing in, in the stock market, like you, you've described, there's not a lot of, not a lot of much, um, I think a lot of the power and the sophistication that come, that come with, uh, with an investment, they're just not there. Um, so I'm, and I, I love information. I'm I'm a huge geek. I have a um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I have I think too many degrees because I like to gather information and it gives me um, kind of confidence of what I do. Um, I I personally cannot imagine investing, and I also invest passively. But I can't imagine investing in anything without doing proper due diligence. Um, and I think that's yeah. the beauty in what your company does. It provides you know you don't just say hey. Here's a market X and this here's property Y and then just go invest in them. There's some education that comes with it. So they understand why, okay, you you recommend it to go with a certain market, why this market is a good market and why this investment actually makes sense. And you have to understand why you want to invest in a certain venture or or deal. Yeah, you're right. Like it, it starts with education. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um you you always want to be educating yourself, but that doesn't mean you need to know everything all the time in order to do something. Sure. Uh, this is why you surround yourself with a team that's smarter than you, because then you can ask smart questions, but you know you get the right advice and counsel. And that's why we call our 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 team investment counselors, is because they're helping to counsel you. We take the time to vet the providers, the lenders, the property managers. Uh, the attorneys, the CPAs that we work with, um, the inspectors, the title companies. I mean, we we work with these people and we do a lot of transactions. So it starts off with vetting them and then testing them. And then you build a history and a relationship. So these are the people that we have available that we just hand over essentially to an investor so they can work with them because we've already done business with them. We can trust them. We know how they work. I'd say once every two years, we have to fire a service provider. You know, we have to get rid of them because things go sideways for whatever reason. Um, but we're on top of that. Then when you talk about the markets, you know, we're still talking about doing your due diligence. When you do your due diligence on uh, a market, you want to look at th- certain things. But the two biggest factors are uh, jobs and job growth and then, and then population growth. So ideally, you want to see an upward trend in population and an upward trend in job growth. Um, tied with that, you want to see a diverse 
a diverse economy. You don't want it to be a one-trick pony, like an oil and gas-based business like North Dakota was when oil was booming. And then when mm-hmm. oil prices came down, that market came crashing down as well. So you want diversity in the economy. And that could mean you know, healthcare, uh, tourism, transportation, manufacturing, uh, finance. You want that breadth. And so that is kind of the the top level. And then from there, you work down. My sixth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing is take a top-down approach. So rule number six is take a top-down approach. And that means you start with the market, then you you focus on sub-markets and neighborhoods, and then the property. A lot of investors make the mistake. It doesn't always work out to be a mistake, but often it is a mistake where they get so mesmerized by a property because it's a beautiful looking property. It's Mm -hmm. well renovated. There was a good scope of work. The numbers look really sexy on paper and maybe it's actually leased at, at, you know, whatever that rental rate is. And so the numbers in reality are good too, but guess what? It's on a bad street. There's a lot of dilapidated or burned down houses. It's a war zone and it's in a, a depressed market. And the case in point is where I started investing and that was Detroit, Michigan. So I was, one of the mistakes I made is I was buying some properties not thinking too much about the neighborhood or the market as a whole because it was sold on a promise, not fact. But uh, yeah, I had houses on streets that were um, ugly. Let's just say that, you know, there was a lot of burned down, literally burned down houses on that street. The numbers of the property were were awesome. Um, But the neighborhood was sketchy. The demographics were sketchy. It was a low income area. So that meant that there were more turnovers than you'd like. And there were more expensive turnovers. And when you have turnover, that's the most expensive part of owning real estate is you could wipe out an entire right. year's positive cash flow just from one turn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right when it comes to um, being kind of confused with what, how the property looks like. I, I always I remember when I started, I was walking properties and um, I used to, to think, oh, this is a really ugly you know, property or this is a beautiful property. And you have to remember that you're not going to live there. It, it right. doesn't need, you know, if it's an ugly property, yeah, it might not be the best um, opportunity for you because it, you want it to attract um, tenants, but you're not going to live there. So kind of switch your glasses to an investor glasses or investor hat when you walk there and, and basically think, would the people that I want to attract, the type of tenants that I want to attract, attract, would they come and live here? And especially if you're investing out of state and a lot of people from California, like us, they invest outside of California. Um, you really got to know not only the market, but you really got to know the area. And I think this is where working with the right property management company, if you're, especially if you're a passive investor and you don't know the different sub-markets, if you're working with someone, uh, either a syndicator or a property manager company, um, a property management company that that, you know, someone who knows the markets well, they can tell you, listen, this is this is a nice property. Yes, but it's it's a, in a low income area. You have a lot of you have a high crime rate or um, or on the contrary, the property doesn't look maybe amazing, but it has a lot. I mean, the maintenance is pretty low. It's w- very well maintained. It's near university. There's a lot of um, you know, it's a high demand. So I think you're absolutely right. Not letting you know, what you see on paper and in, in, you know, on the site kind of drive your decision because this is not how you make decisions in real estate. You can, but you're not going to make money that way. Yeah. 
No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean that was a great recap. The, the thing is, is as an investor, you need to define what your criteria is. You need to know who you are and what you're comfortable investing in. You know, you and I live in, you know, near the coast of California. The houses here, for the most part, are, are not only expensive, but a lot of them are pretty, pretty nice. When you go to some of these markets, you can buy like lot, like the median price of what we sell is $120,000. That's a three bedroom, two bath home. You know, in California, that's going to be like anywhere from six hundred to six hundred thousand to two million. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so it's it's really location specific, but it's a good size three bedroom, two bath home that you're getting for one hundred and ten, one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty thousand. It's neighborhood normal. It's normal for that area, but generally speaking, that's going to be in a B, B plus, maybe an A minus type neighborhood. So you have a good working class community. It's mostly blue collar, middle income, maybe upper middle income. That's the sweet spot. That's most of what we sell. That's what I like to invest in because it gives you the best balance between cash flow, rate of return, and appreciation potential. When you go into a C-class neighborhood, we sell the occasional CC-plus type properties. We have them on our website. Uh, some investors want them. Now, those are the ones that look really good on paper. The high, They have high cash-on-cash returns, right. but don't expect a lot of appreciation from those properties. Mm-hmm. You'll get some but um, but you're dealing with a different different demographic. The point I'm trying to make is know who you are as an investor and define your criteria because your criteria will help drive your decisions. That may be that you only stick to properties that are in A minus neighborhoods that are in good school districts, and um, you know they uh, they they'll probably be three bedroom two bath homes. Um, but that's you know that's your choice, right? And so those will be good properties. They'll have a decent rate of return. They'll have stronger appreciation potential, and that's maybe how you start building your portfolio. And then you start sprinkling in other types of property classes like Bs or B pluses. So we classify properties, you know, on that spectrum. But once you have a conversation with our team, we pull that out of your head. If you don't already know it, we'll ask you questions that will help you define what you're looking for. Then when you know what you're looking for, you'll know it when you see it. Otherwise, it's like you know, right. going into a candy store. You know, you've got sour candy and you've got licorice. And you got this and that. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That can be very confusing. And can you give a like, kind of a, a quick overview for our listeners that are not extremely familiar with the classification of neighborhoods to an A, B, and C, maybe even D neighborhood? If you can just go over it real quick. Yeah, so there's no formal definition in the industry of what that means. You, you know, you talk to different people and they'll have a general idea of what it means. But, um, I, you know, we'll clearly know the difference between an A and a C if we're having a, just a, a loose conversation. Um, so people define it differently. We kind of define A-class neighborhoods as being kind of your um, higher end, uh, good retail, high percentage of owner-occupied home neighborhoods. Uh, those are the areas that are typically always good looking, uh, appreciate well, hold their value. Um, and I'm not talking about the high end, like the, you know, the far end of that spectrum where you have the most expensive properties, because those will also depreciate the fastest as well when there's a, right. you know, a, a real estate down cycle or a recession. Um, bees are your middle income bread and butter housing that make up the bulk of the population. Uh, and that could be a cross between um, professionals, white collar and, and blue collar workers. But, you know, it's not your low income, uh, you know, people that work at Walmart or McDonald's type of demographic. When you get into the C's, that's when you start to see more transient type employment. Uh, they're going to be certainly lower income. 
Uh, and, you know, this is not to say that, you know, a certain demographic is better than the other. We're not trying to single out any type of person here. It's, we're just kind of classifying, you know, these different types of neighborhoods. And then, you know, if you want, you can go into what you might call D neighborhoods. And those are definitely, you know, places you don't want to be. There's, you know, they'd be scary to walk around at night. They're they're probably crime ridden. They're certainly, they certainly don't have good school districts. They're almost all rentals. They're, there's very few homeowners in those areas. So, so just, you know, a little common sense is, is, is involved in that, you know, in that, uh, you know, that classification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, very similar to how I see it and how most people, um, you know, see the the classification, the different type of, of uh, neighborhoods. Um, great. So anything else that you uh, that you wanted to share with us today? Um, tips? Yeah. Uh, Educate yourself. Always start with, you know, mm-hmm. always can work on yourself. Uh, you know, wealth starts between your ears. <laughs> you have to, you know, work on your, your yourself and your mind. Invest in yourself first is basically what I'm saying. Um, and then, you know, what, what I started saying at the very beginning is, is take action. You know, you can prepare for your whole life and not do anything. So at some point in time, you have to, you know, be ready, fire, and then aim. So, you know, it's, it's, if you are, if you're always trying to aim, aim and aim, you'll never do anything. So, but that also leads to my next point. That is just work with the right people, have a good team around you because real estate investing is a team sport. It's not, um, you know, you're not an Island. So work with the right team and, and certainly take action, but certainly do something because there, there, there are always deals around. And that usually doesn't mean it's in your backyard. You and I are in expensive markets. California doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, most of the time. Right. Uh, but there are great opportunities throughout the United States. It's made up of over 400 metropolitan areas. So um, all real estate is local. Just know where to invest. And if you need help, you know, there's help out there. You, the internet is a very powerful tool or you can work with a company like our, ourselves or talk to you. I'm sure you're identifying certain markets. So um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Um, educate yourself. And in addition, I, I totally agree. Reach out to people who can help you um, get into real estate. You can do it on your own. doesn't matter if you're a syndicator, a business owner, a passive investor, an active investor. You need to work with people. You need to work as part of a team. Um, great work. I appreciate, um, you, you know, sharing your story with us, Mark. I just wanted to ask, um, if you could look back and tell your 20 year old self something, what would it be? You put everyone on the spot with that question, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, um, focus on your financial IQ as early as you can and focus on building your top line income. Um, you can't save your way to wealth. So build as accumulate as much revenue or income as you can and take as much of that as you can and invest it into cash flowing assets. That's what I would do. Educate yourself and 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 make as much money as you can as fast as you can and turn that into passive investments like cash flowing real estate. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. Um, and then Mark, where um, can our listeners find you? So we have two websites. Uh, the one we've been talking about where the properties are located are um, located at Norada Real Estate, N-O-R-A-D-A, Norada Real Estate.com. 
Uh, and then the home of our podcast, which has a lot of free content as well, is p- simply Passive Real Estate Investing. So PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you again for sharing your story with us and with me and my listeners. Um, uh, you're in California, so maybe we'll grab coffee at some point. Yeah. But yeah, thank you again. And uh, I, I think uh, we heard a lot of good advice here today, many pieces of advice, and I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ellie. It was fun. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.